0: Hi, and welcome back to Voices. This is Episode 11, Voices. This show is Information Control Occupy, Information Control. Uh, Our guest is Claire. Claire, can you introduce yourself real quickly, please? Say hey.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Claire Burnish. I'm a journalist now with the Free Thought Project, um, uh, several organizations, actually. I have a particular focus on uh the first amendment freedom of speech and freedom of the press because i feel that that is fundamental to just about everything else related to freedom and individual liberty um i like to i'm very concerned right now with censorship that's going on because i think that it signals a very perilous course so right now is like the height of my interest in my journalism
0: uh, We'll be talking in depth. We've mentioned it in a lot of the shows. Uh, The last show uh, was Occupy Asylum, Episode 10, and we were talking about uh, information control, uh, but we didn't really get a chance to go into a lot of detail about it yet. This is the show we're going to try to tackle that. Um, the, 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 The real bottom line is there's a war on reporters, that reporters are the front line, Uh, The counterinsurgency is what's being used against us. Um, It's the military. It's the private sector. um, And we'll try to get into some detail on that. Uh, First, David, we didn't get you to get your dulcet tones yet. Say hey, David.
2: Hi, Terry. Hi, Claire. Welcome. I'm glad to have you with us. And uh, I'm excited about this show. I think we're going to help our listeners to learn a few things that maybe aren't quite up there on their radar screen at the moment. So I'm glad to have you with us. Uh, We're both glad to have you with us today.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: What what did I have set up for our, uh, we'll have some links that go with this show, like usual. What was uh, shown as the first link? Can you see that, David?
2: Uh, yeah, it's funny, you know, um, I, went, I went to look at something else just as you said that, so now i got to get back to it. <laughs> Give me a second. Well,
0: <laughs> you know, obviously we're due as to organized technical as, as we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's
2: funny. Give me a second. It was um, it, actually what you said, the uh, um, war on reporters was one of the first things on the list, Terry. So, um, okay. you know, that's... Uh, you know. All right, we're, you know,
0: we're two minutes and 30 seconds in. And, Claire, have you been doing any reporting on... On uh, on the war on the First Amendment, the war on reporters. What are you seeing out there?
1: I'm seeing a very. What I'm honestly seeing is that alternative media took up the slack for corporate media, which really went down the tubes, and um, during this election cycle uh, was proven to be colluding directly uh, with the Clinton campaign um, and the Democratic National Committee. Um, it that breaks basically every tenant of journalism, um, <laughs> you you can't discuss sources, you can't discuss your article with, with the, the subject of your article before it's going to be printed. Um, and that was, um, I don't know, I think that was a very big violation of the idea of a free press. And so alternative journalism picked up the slack there and did a phenomenal job covering, um, you know, corruption on both sides of the aisle. Um, both reporting on the emails that were leaked by WikiLeaks and, you know, the corruption in the Trump campaign and everything else. So alternative journalism proved to have the integrity that the mainstream did not. And now we're witnessing, um, and I think that I'm not alone in believing this, a, an enormous backlash against alternative media because the mainstream kind of proved itself defunct, this election cycle. And in order to fight back, it's grasping at straws and is basically calling... Um, alternative media fake news when it's the opposite is true uh, so we're we're witnessing the a, a likelihood that there can be some very fascistic censorship on the way if we don't call attention to it and demand that it not stop we can't have censorship of the media particularly just because there's you know an opposing side um, the first amendment is it covers everybody, even opposing thought, even people whose ideas you despise. You still have to defend those ideas in order for everybody to have free speech and a free press. And it, right now we're seeing a backlash that could just completely cinch together a very limited um, section of thought. Like we would only have one-sided news, and that that's a terrible travesty. So.
0: Are there any examples that you've been covering in your news stories? Because you're really doing a lot of writing and some really great writing. Well, hopefully we'll get you linked so people can see some of the writing you've been doing. Have you been covering uh, Standing Rock, the, 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 the situation up there where uh, reporters have been arrested, um, felony charges put on them for the crime of being a reporter, uh, the woman okay. from Democracy Now!, was arrested, felony charges put on her, and they were trying to say she wasn't a real journalist. So I guess that's one of the points we want to talk about. Uh, what What's the difference between real journalists and not real journalists? And that seems to be a matter of convenience. Uh, any thoughts on that?
1: Um, I would say you're right, a matter of convenience, um, and a, a matter of convenience for the establishment, um, certainly. Um, when the establishment is has to report based on its corporate owners what their narrative dictates because there's even, like, a minimal censorship going on there in terms of they can't step too far outside the bounds of what the corporate owners of their organizations feel is, you know, the, the right path to take. So by calling journalists who go on the scene, like... Um, Amy Goodman of Democracy Now!, she went to the scene and she was doing the job of journalism and filming what was going on. She was not actively participating in the protests, in the opposition or anything. She got caught up and, like, lumped in with the people who were taking action at the scene. And it's criminal that they wanted to arrest her and charge her with a felony for just being there and doing her job. Um, That was kind of a dangerous precedent, I think, that will be pushed again and again as this war on real journalism really starts to take shape. Uh, I have friends who have been up to Standing Rock and have experienced the same thing. Um, One of my journalist friends, who is also an activist, was up there simply filming and was tased by police for no reason. Um, Mm. And that was really traumatic for him. I mean, this this is definitely a war on uh the true muckraking style of genuine journalism that is, you
0: know the foundation it's it's its roots uh this isn't the first time in in information control again we've shown a pattern over the last couple of years, and we first saw it in the occupy movement um, later it became absolutely apparent uh, in the ferguson uprising and uh, did, did it, did any of your coverage, were you talking about Ferguson? And once again, the, the reporters were targeted, uh, hauled off to jail to silence him. Um,
1: yeah. I actually have not. Yeah, I have not made that, I haven't made that parallel in any of my writing recently, but I actually went to Ferguson before I started writing, before I like, really became a journalist. Awesome. So I was with some journalists up there. Um, and I saw how everybody was treated, and I live-streamed for a friend of mine for the first time when I was there, and the degree of brutality and the separation between police and the people, that was the most striking thing that I recognized there. I mean, I was all I was – I was, literally did not open my mouth when I was live-streaming. I just held up, you know, an iPad and I was shoved around by the police like crazy. I mean, I think I put one foot in the street at one point, and I almost got knocked over. Um, that was the first very clear indicator to me that the police state was very much a thing. We, we are very much in the midst of a police state, and the militarization of police is really out of hand, and it's getting worse, and it's creating a very, very stark line between uh, the people who enforce the laws and the people who are supposed to abide by them. And they have, it's as if there are different sets of rules governing them. And journalists who don't come with mainstream credentials are lumped into, you know, the, the others besides the police. So it's like a war on people who just want things to be better and who want to expose the truth and who want to kind of change the world. It's like, like there's a war on dissent. So, There are a lot of dangerous precedents being set, and I I agree with you. I I believe Ferguson was when it really started to turn.
0: Were you up there when they were trying to corral reporters up into the free speech zones uh, rather than let them go where they needed to go to cover the story? And, again, that's against the whole principle of being a reporter is wherever the story is, that's where you have to be. Uh, I don't know whether you were there that day. Did you hear any of the, the people that had been there talking about that?
1: Yes, I did, and I, I, people were very angry and upset about that, and, you know, understandably so. Um, When I actually arrived there, they had, um, there was an area where most of the protests were going on, and they had calmed down. It wasn't, you know, this kind of violent uprising anymore. It it was angry, but it wasn't as violent and kind of chaotic. Uh, But there was, up the street, the remnants of this free speech zone, which was, I mean, we took pictures of it because... It was one of those construction signs with the lights that had free speech zone and it was like missing a bunch of letters and it had like a corralled off gated orange mesh fence and as if <laughs> people are just going to go and express themselves in this one little corral. I mean, it's so absurd to think that there is any place in this country that is off limits for free speech or off limits for journalists to go and cover the news. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how they expect anybody to just kind of accept that
0: uh the the bottom line is that the 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 new independent reporters aren't accepting that um yeah. and that's something we we'll wanna get more into as we go along. We're developing that story. We're eleven minutes into the show uh dave on uh on information control uh there'll be a picture up here we ran it in the last story too uh but the whole basis of information control is uh they're attacking people's uh, ideology, what you believe. They're attacking people's sanctuary, that what it takes to make you able to believe freely. And they're attacking what uh, your motivation. They may not be as concerned about what you believe. They just don't want you to move on it, uh, to actually do anything about it. And again, movement, uh, the Ferguson movement, Occupy movement. Uh, can you kind of tie in and give us a quick overview of uh, of information control?
2: You know, um, Terry, the, the thing that I'm hearing here just kind of as a thread in what Claire is sharing is the fact that we now have the Orwellian uh, model of the way things are, and I think, Claire, you actually used that phrase in, in your article, um, the uh, ability of the... Uh, Powers that be to be able to control the information is really, uh, becoming, uh, status quo in our day and, uh, people, you know, people are trying to adjust to that by going outside of the mainstream media to alternatives and now you're seeing, we're seeing the attack upon the alternative, uh, reporters and journalists and those who want to maintain honesty in the uh, dissemination of information. And, uh, we have Clearly, uh, and we've done a show on this, uh, uh, Occupy Coin was a show we did where we actually had the ability to get a handle on uh, how that whole process is is being uh, developed and and used against us. And as long as we are able to counter the ideologies uh, that are being thrown at us, the uh, ability to keep our sanctuary and the ability to keep motivated, we have the keys to uh, the kingdom, if you will. And the ability of you as a journalist and reporter to, to help us to keep our information clear, I think, is critical. Uh, for instance, one of the articles that you pointed out is uh, how even NATO bloggers are involved in a process to try to, you know, manipulate uh, our minds and, and so on. Um, anything I've said there that brings anything to your thinking to discuss in terms of what we're trying to pursue here?
0: Claire, to you, is anything ring a bell there?
1: Well, there there are several things. I I mean, uh, I guess going back to this whole idea of fake news, the the idea is that they are trying to control – the control comes from trying to discredit legitimate sources. It comes from trying to discredit organic, legitimate movements. Um, Ferguson was, for the most part, an organic, legitimate movement in response to something, and then – they had to effect controls on the journalists there. Um, Occupy was the same way, and there was a, an enormous degree of control placed over Occupy. Um, it looks, even this presidential election, uh, the movement, the anti-Trump movement, um, you know, there is a, an enormous degree of exertive control being placed on anybody who dares to speak out. Many would say that this is the sign of a dying empire, and when you know how how empire cycles go, as the empire kind of gasps its last breath, there is a worldwide turn towards fascism and totalitarianism, and we're we're sort of seeing that now. And it wants to exert this like weighty control over everybody and restrict thought and restrict movement, like you were saying, Uh, restrict the range of acceptable, acceptable and allowable behavior um if you dissent and speak out against the empire you are viewed as a terrorist or you know as somebody who has to be dealt with or um delegitimize, delegitimize somehow and that's what they're trying to do with the media and that's a very concerning aspect here because the media is particularly alternative media are supposed to be the watchdogs of this government and as it begins to clamp down, if alternative media is made to look like a joke when it does not deserve to be by any means, then it will lose credibility and people will sink back and believe the government's propaganda is perpetrated through the mainstream media. I think we're that's about what we hear. Hmm?
0: So it's about 16 minutes into the show, and there was an article. Uh, Claren, you, uh, you said you were looking at the one. Uh, they've actually quantified about 20% of social media users were bots. Uh, Can you touch on that here? Because that's going to help get us into the next section.
1: So social media played obviously a a large part in this election. Um, And it seemed, you know, you would see trending hashtags on Twitter and and such. And it seemed like there were these big movements, either for or against both Hillary and Trump. Um, And it turns out that a lot of these accounts were actually bots. They were both either simplified social media bots or rather sophisticated bots. But there was a huge percentage of tweets that were pushed out um, that were actually performed by bots. Bots retweet. They hunt Google, actually, and look for articles to tweet to Twitter. Um, This is actually rather astonishing to me. I had not really examined this information before, and I hadn't considered it. But – there's a good case that these social media bots might have actually swayed the election. They swayed political opinion. Um, they swayed people's emotions by the content they chose to tweet out and whether it was positive or negative about each candidate. And if we're talking about a fifth of the entire political conversation, this is a fairly in-depth uh, study, if a fifth of the information that was going out in, this, in the political realm was done by non a non-human entity—that's kind of an interesting and quite frightening aspect of uh, where we're going in politics and how the government might be controlling the election with nobody in the wiser.
0: Uh, about 18 minutes into the show, and I think that brings us back to if NATO is using military troops as bloggers. Uh, and some of those tools that they can use, there's uh, one of the first I saw was called Megaphone, where one person can appear to be 10 people or more. Uh, David, we had a link on it. We'll have a link to the article on uh, on the 20% being bots. Uh, is there anything else in this section uh, where we had some links we wanted to touch on?
2: Well, there was the fake news, um, the fact that there's uh, you know, the five different subject areas which have been put out there to persuade the American people to go down certain roads like uh George Bush's weapons of mass destruction and the Gulf of Tonkin incident and others for people to get a handle on uh the uh false information that's put out there to influence the people in ways that they wouldn't normally go, except that there's some news out there that um is uh false news. Fake news.
0: And that was and, uh, that was Claire's story, and we'll be covering that yep. in the third section, uh, in more yep. detail. But it does dovetail again into what we're talking about here. Uh, we are at if 20 the war minutes. the information theory,
2: there's really you know that's you know the yes,
0: war on uh, information the control. Information
2: is, control.
0: Yep. Um, we're uh, 20 minutes in, and Claire, you did a superb article. Uh, that one of our show guests. Patrick Wood uh, on technocracy had sent forward and that's why we wanted to get in touch with you you were talking about the effect of Google uh, how it's influencing the news uh, can you help us out here
1: yeah there, this is kind of a true two, two-pronged um, issue uh, I stumbled across an older article that was an excerpt from one of uh, from Julian Assange's book called uh, When Google Met WikiLeaks, or um, or WikiLeaks met Google. I might be getting that backwards, honestly. Um, But it was a really telling excerpt and explained how even the roots of Google were with the U.S. military. That's how it came into existence. So this search engine has a very long and very uh, entangled history with the government. And because of that, It's much more than just a search engine. Everybody tends to believe that it's a company that, you know, you just go and you put information in and you don't think twice about it. But there is much more than that because Google is a corporation. And because it has, like, uh, it has connections with the State Department, it has connections with the Council on Foreign Relations, these are global political influencers, and Google has the ability to switch its algorithms. We've seen it do that. Um, more organic search engines such as Yahoo would not show the same results as Google did during the election for various, I mean, people have tested, like, different search terms to see what it would pull up. Google is biased. That's, a, that's concerning because according to um, a, of several studies, there is a very large chance that Google is actually influencing global, like presidential elections on a global scale. So not just in the U.S., but everywhere. The way that it tweaks its algorithms to project certain results for what people are looking for, we are basically being manipulated by a corporation at the behest of a government, if you want to break it down to brass tacks.
0: uh, Have you gotten any kind of a feel for how I've heard the word algorithm used? Uh, do you think that really is what's going on, or is there a person behind the algorithm? Uh, And and if you could kind of explain that, it would help. I'm kind of foggy on on algorithms.
1: (laughs) Well, algorithms are kind of a notoriously opaque subject matter anyway, so I'm not entirely clear either. But I do know from my experience working through Facebook censorship and Google suppression and such, algorithms can be tweaked. By humans, uh, they can also be tweaked by artificial intelligence bots who are it, it's machine learning. So algorithms affect um, what you're going to see. Like in Google, it would affect what search result you'll see in on Facebook. It affects what your news feed shows you, who you interact with. Um, it's actually been proven that Facebook has created echo chambers on purpose, and that has also swayed the elections. It has nothing to do with fake news. It has more to do with the kind of technological aspect behind this. Um, because the algorithms can be tweaked, and again, I'm not sure how it works, but I've I've seen plenty of articles discussing it. Because it can be tweaked, it can be tweaked to suppress, uh, you know, important news. It can be tweaked to bring something to the forefront that might not otherwise be in the forefront, whether that's a good or a bad thing. Um, Basically, these are tools of manipulation, and people just often blow off, oh, the algorithm, but it's much more than that.
0: Um, David, did you're, you're kind of keeping an eye on uh, on our links? Uh, are you seeing anything here that jumps out at you that goes with this subject?
2: Well, I uh, am just reminded uh, a few months ago there was an article, and I was actually looking in my computer for it as we were talking. There was an article put out uh, regarding Google's influence on the election and the fact that they um, were there was a. Uh, political scientist who had researched over the last three to four years uh the very thing that uh, uh, claire was pointing to that uh they they actually were able to by taking track of people's use of the google search engine they were able to um, push certain uh articles to the top of of the hit you know list you know when someone puts in something about the uh, the campaign about the election, uh, that they would put in, uh, articles that would be biased toward the candidate that Google was hoping was going to get more possibilities of winning. And, uh, you know, this is a, this is a serious problem because we're assuming that when we go and do something out there in the, uh, you know, internet world, we're just assuming that it's going to be free of bias. It's going to be just, uh, brought back to us in almost a random sense, you know, Pointing to what we're interested in finding about, finding out about, but not, you know, influencing our way of thinking, and, you know, uh, I appreciate the the thoughts that Claire's bringing here and and the uh, way that we're trying to help uh, acquaint people with the fact that you better, you know, have a John eye, si, if you will, when we look at the at the uh, information that's being brought back to our you know living room, if you will, in another way than the television, just through our uh computer uh, screen Um, that's to me the the key of what we're you know dealing with here and uh, um, you know the social bots uh, I think is a serious problem because when you get it's robotic information it's information that's not connected to you know people you know it's one thing when you know that somebody's trying to influence you if it's something entirely different Claire wouldn't you agree when it's just some mechanical process that's forcing us to think in certain ways. So that seems to be getting into some very dangerous ground in terms of trying to force the society in certain directions.
1: Absolutely it is. Um, I I think that my biggest concern is looking at the study on the social bots. it, It explains, you know, how much of an influence they probably had and almost certainly had on the election, but it doesn't really address Whose bots those were? Um, and I think that if you kind of theorize, it could very easily be, you know, either campaign or the government in general. It could be private entities. It's, that's a, a, an open question, and I agree that's a very dangerous problem.
2: Doesn't this also that, point to the, 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 the fascist influence that people are concerned about, that you've got the, the coming together, the converging of government and corporations to pursue certain directions, certain ends, certain uh, impetus in society. Uh that seems to be a concern here now. We've got uh very powerful economic interests in bed with uh the government which is a very powerful economic interest in a, in and of itself.
0: And whose government? It, it, is it NATO where it's it's a whole combination of European governments? Is it our government? Is it the Israeli government that was using Or the is microphone? it a shadow <laughs> government? Another good point. Are you seeing anything on this, Claire?
1: Well, I mean, there's a, there's, there are good indicators that there is shadow government at work. I mean, uh, the email, the Podesta files even revealed that, I, I believe, it was Hillary Clinton mentioned that there is shadow government at work. Um, there are darker factors than just the figureheads of government, um, whether that be in the U.S. or in Europe or anywhere. Um, I, I would argue that this could very easily, like the social bots could very easily be, um, a product of the intelligence community. Whether just national or international is unclear, but it seems almost certain because this has all the earmarks of a PSYOP, a psychological operation, an ongoing one because I would imagine that it was not, it's not as if all of these bots were deployed just for, you know, the election. They're probably being used for any number of things. So it's, you might think that all your friends are, you know, believing in this candidate or that candidate or this ideology or that. When in reality they aren't even necessarily people, and that's that's terrifying. That's that's not a good precedent. We, I, I mean, this this is yes, you're right. It's it could easily be a tool of fascism. Um, that is how you limit thought, limit the spectrum of controllable thought by manipulating how it is that people feel based on what it is that they think other people are feeling.
0: We've got about 11 minutes left in this section. And I think it's critical also to keep in mind Google is not a one-way system. And I think Claire's article really did a good job with getting that across, too, that that the people who are attacking our ideology, our sanctuary, our motivation, they are looking for where are our weak spots, and this is a two-way street. Uh, They are looking for what information they can get from us. Google is taking in information from us while we look for information. Um, What are you seeing on that, Claire?
1: Well, I mean, the State Department and probably the intelligence community are pretty much intertwined with Google at all times. So when you – Google keeps your search history, um, basically gives it to the government. Anything you look for – I mean, it's manipulating what you look for, but then anything you do look for, you know, all of this information, the metadata, the searches, all of this is kept. It's all – I mean, none of this is just – it doesn't just disappear when you end a search. Um, It's the same thing uh, Twitter – the FBI recently announced that it can read and store your tweets in live time now, all the time, all your tweets. Um, It's an invasion of government into corporations and corporations into government, and they have created this effective, um, like, overbearing corporate state that has – a quid pro quo relationship where, you know, it, it's beneficial for the corporation to give the government data and vice versa. And and here we are kind of in the fishbowl, unable to really escape because we need things like Google to research um, online. There isn't as much... It's not as easy to just go down the streets of the library anymore as, as fast-paced as everything is. So we rely on these things. We rely on Facebook to look for news. and And they are capitalizing on that.
2: Aren't you also actually raising another issue even above that, and that's the fact that um, if it wasn't for the fact that we had a few sources, uh, very critical, valuable sources, such as Julian Assange's work, Edwin Snowden's work, uh, available to us to understand what's really going on, uh, we would be really in a much darker uh, level of knowledge as to this whole picture. And the question also needs to be raised, what else don't we know that's out there? I mean, you know, that's, I think, the value of reporters such as yourself, because your job is to find that information that isn't uh, information that we have at the present time. Isn't that really part of the, the whole problem that uh, we're seeing uh, is being uh, attacked here, the, the war on information, is that, you know, what happens when our sources, the few that we have, aren't available to us anymore? Isn't that a real problem here that uh, is uh, critical in this time in our in our uh, society?
1: It absolutely is. Um, imagine how the election would have been different without having the emails that were published by WikiLeaks. Imagine, imagine if there had not been an alternative media to kind of break through the mainstream narrative that either on the right or the left was just parroting a particular candidate. Um, none of the mainstream does investigative journalism um, for the most part. Any any longer, it's become the job of the alternative media. And if we are discredited uh, as journalists, if we're if our work is kind of made fun of and seen to be false or fake or misleading, even when it's not, um, that sets a dangerous precedent. Uh, the propaganda is already working. I've I've seen friends on social media who have already kind of bought this fake news narrative saying, well, yeah, but there are some really bad sites that kind of, you know, they have disinformation. It's like, I understand that. But you can't, people should be allowed, and they should on their own, investigate whether a source is a good source or not. We don't need the government or a corporation to tell us, this is an acceptable source and this is not. That is everybody, that is our job. We need to always, every, all of us, I'm saying, need to go and investigate in an article, follow the links, see what the sources are, you know, use critical judgment and critical thought because very soon if we don't kind of grab this and do our job, all of us, we're not going to have that ability. We're not going to have a range of thought any longer. We're not going to be able to look into things because the Internet will gradually get more and more censored. And the ability to investigate and form thought will be severely curtailed.
0: That's six minutes really left. Really,
1: come down to the uh, the concept
2: uh, that we all take for, blan- for granted that the marketplace of ideas is where we should allow for things to be sifted out.
1: We we need to not condemn. This is this is my viewpoint. I, I have a very hard time with people who want to censor for any reason, um, because it's a slippery slope. Once you say, well, it's okay, we can rate websites and say give them a credibility factor, like these these people have misleading headlines, but generally they're true. This site is completely fake, and it, once you start stratify, stratifying the information, you've already created censorship. You've already swayed public opinion about what they should believe and should not believe. So when mm-hmm. you lump credible outlets in with ones that aren't credible in any way by putting labels on things, that's censorship in motion. We've
0: got so about, how do five we vet, minutes, about five how, minutes. About
1: five
0: minutes left vet, in the section.
1: You know, what, what's,
2: what's the best? How, what is the best way to vet information? You know, so that we. I mean, I'm putting you on the spot by asking the question, but you know, what what is our it, uh, our best means to, you know, allow the people to receive information and have to, for themselves, verify that the information is credible or not. It used to be in the history of our, you know, we we pretty much were confident and probably in error back in the day, too, that when we got something in a newspaper and we read it, we knew that it was being provided to us by professionals who followed certain rules in terms of what they were reporting and they they were being uh, scrutinized by their own system, if you will. What's to allow us to uh, be able to know that the information we're receiving from any source is uh, viable, credible, reliable, truthful to the extent that we can, you know, accept it? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I have several thoughts. There, there is no guaranteed system. There is no way to absolutely guarantee that what you're seeing is the truth, no matter how solid it seems, because there is a very large element of government infiltration. Um, government passes out information, say, to mainstream and hands it out as hardcore truth when really it's just propaganda. Um, the same is true anywhere. All we can do is do our best. And the best way to vet information, if you see an article and you're not really sure that it's correct, you need to follow the links, research, you know, take some key terms from the articles, and search on Google. A lot of this, it, it sounds like it takes hours to do, but it really just takes a couple minutes. And then, you know, if you see a number of sites reporting on the same topic, even if they report it slightly differently, that's probably a good indication it's at least mostly true. Um, if a site seems absolutely insane and too good to be true or too crazy to be true, it probably is, but you know, it's sometimes worth hunting down that information as well. Look at for sources and see if they're credible. If you only see one source for information, even in the mainstream, because the mainstream New York Times did this with the weapons of mass destruction. If you only see one source and nothing else backing it up, that's a pretty good sign that it's not you know, not good information.
0: We've got about three minutes left in this section and we're talking about the difference between controlled information and uncontrolled information and this election we've mentioned that this election was influenced by information control how many times did we hear in this election uh, that there was a poll and of the four candidates and there were four candidates as hard to believe as that may be uh, that were basically on the ballot uh, the polls were only showing two candidates so before you ever get rolling, how can you have a poll that's got any kind of accuracy if it's got only two of the four candidates? Um, what's, the, what's the influence of polls? Um, there were four candidates. <laughs> Talk about controlled information. They were never allowed to speak. Uh, the, the debates went off uh, with only two of the four candidates. Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, this, we're, this is a, the establishment duopoly. Um, the, it's really two sides of the same coin. There are some aspects, usually in the social realm, where the two differ to a degree. But for the most part, the politics, the economics, they are actually more similar than they are different. Um, third parties are a threat. There is a reason that there is propaganda every presidential election cycle that says, if you vote for a third party candidate, you're throwing away your vote. <laughs> well, of course they are going to say that because they don't want people, like, leaving the duopoly en masse and voting for a third-party candidate because then the establishment would lose its power. So they just, that's another way of controlling information by discrediting people who, you know, are ardently support third-party candidates. Um, the, the, the elections are controlled, and they aren't, it's, it's, it's not so much that they're rigged behind the scenes, although that does happen to a degree, but it's much more about controlling the information that people get, and it's swaying public opinion, you know, in all of these really false, dubious sort of methods.
0: I've got about uh, just a few seconds left in this section. That leads us into where we were beginning to go anyway. Uh, you did an article on fake news, and that was really superb. Uh, can you can you talk to us about fake news?
1: Yes. So the left lost the election, and it was, it was not a failure of anybody but the candidate they put forth because, in, you know, in my opinion and many others, they did not listen to the people who really wanted Bernie Sanders. And I think that if they had run Bernie Sanders, then perhaps they would have won. But they went with Hillary Clinton, and it proved to be a downfall. Now, they are looking. Instead of conceding and walking away, um, Trump is such a concerning... Um, president-elect that they are looking to blame anybody that they possibly can. And the left establishment is blaming the news media and this, they have preferred this problem of false news or fake news and it's just not true. There was not a problem. Mark Zuckerberg actually admitted that himself. He said there was such a small percentage of fake news it could not possibly have swayed the election and it was bipartisan. So it was not just like one narrative. Nonetheless, um, a poorly cobbled together list of "Quote unquote fake and clickbaity and misleading news sites was thrown out on the internet mm-hmm. the same day that there was a declared war on fake news, and it's really an attempt to discredit alternative media by waging war on dissenting opinion, and it is little else."
0: We had a we'll have a link to a a Twitter observation that, and I'm I'm going to probably misquote this, but basically they're saying. Uh, uh, a, a famous movie star has their baby abducted by aliens that's fake news. Uh what they're calling fake news isn't. We'll have that link. And what uh any thoughts here David? What are we What are you seeing?
2: Well, well the uh one of them that struck me was the tw- Twitter feed um of the fella Asa Bennett talk about the just very recent news that uh uh, the spat over Hamilton, uh, the other day was actually a distraction, uh, overshadowing the Trump University story, uh, and so, you know, uh, it, it seems that we're, we see this every day, um, every, every hour, if you will, and, uh, you know, this is, this is part of, uh, the information we have out there to illustrate, uh, the point that, uh, um, the distractions are constantly, you know, those in power are going to try to take us away from true stories uh, to get us to, uh, um, you know, be focused on something else so that, that the thing that's really important to know isn't uh, where we focus our attention. Claire, do you have some thoughts on that?
1: Well, that's always true. Um, but you, in alternative media, we've kind of learned that when there is an, an inordinate amount of attention placed on a very strange subject, there's likely something going on behind the scenes. And that's when we start hunting for what the big story is, because it's almost always a distraction. It's a very common tactic. Um, I think mm-hmm. that the fake news thing is also a distraction. By it, it has a dual purpose. It serves to discredit dissenting opinion and, you know, alternative media, while at the same time serving as a distraction in itself. Like, we've created this gigantic problem of fake news that's influencing the world, and now it needs to be slain. It's it's crazy. Um, it, it's like it's like waging a war on terrorism. It doesn't. You can't wage a war on a concept. You can't wage a war on fake news that isn't a problem. <laughs> I, I mean, this is like expert propaganda level here. Um, and it worked very quickly because mainstream media picked up the war against fake news and ran with a poorly cobbled together list um, without... And none of these people applied journalistic integrity to the effort either um, instead of actually perhaps investigating if there was a fake news problem, which they could have easily done, or investigated the sites on their own and rated them on their own. They could have done that too. But instead, mainstream media is so desperate to hold on to the clout that it no longer has. It just republished the list.
2: It's it, it almost tracking. raises an, it's an aha. It, all, it seems to raise an aha moment to me that um, whenever we see some uh, uh, presentation out there that's talking about there's a war being waged. We need to back up and and realize that uh, they're trying to set us up for uh, pushing us in a certain direction. As you said, the war on terrorism was the key example uh, in our time of just putting a lot of effort into something that's really not a war. You have the war on drugs. Now we have the war on uh, fake news. So uh, it should raise a a red flag to us all saying, uh, wait a minute, maybe there's something we need to back up and look at more uh, circumspectly here
0: we've got about uh 15 minutes left in the show there's an 800 pound gorilla that we need to take a look at from the history book here can you kind of can you say, that? Can you oh, say yeah. that
2: again because as you said it you became mechanical in your statement so say that sentence again
0: <laughs> uh, there's an 800 pound gorilla from the history ah. book that we need to be taking a look at here and i'm kind of springing this on y'all cuz i just found it right before we started the show uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Frank Weisner uh was part of the early 1950s 60s version CIA information control and he coined a term the his mighty wurlitzer wor- um, he could play any propaganda tune on his mighty wurlitzer uh, the concept that 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 the intelligence agency has historically infiltrated the press This is not a new idea. We'll have another couple of links, Uh, again, from the history book. There will be a a link to a story by uh, uh, Bernstein, as in Woodward and Bernstein, from the 70s. And he's talking about from the church committee hearings. uh, It was proven that a lot of the mainstream media uh, people were involved with the intelligence community. And you'll be able to see his article on that, a superb article. Uh, Now, the thing to keep in mind here is he wrote that article in 1977, so some of the low-level people that he's talking about then are now the editors and the publishers. Uh, Any thoughts on that and what what effect does it have on fake news? Uh, Claire?
1: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because Operation Mockingbird, um, where... The government and press were pretty much interchangeable and in working together. Um, it's still, it, it was recently ruled that um, the FBI can still use and manipulate the media if it needs to for certain cases. Uh, now, that's supposed to be for us uh, on a small scale and in individual cases, but we all know how that goes. We, you know, the government is not going to restrict itself anytime soon. Um, and so we have this recent ruling that essentially allows Operation Mockingbird, or at least confirms that o- Operation Mockingbird is still continuing. So there is still this marriage of the intelligence community, the government, and some mainstream media. Um, it's, it's a really dark aspect I think people don't talk about very much.
0: We've got 12 minutes left here, and in your article on fake news, uh, I believe you talked about, okay, here's some real news, uh, mainstream media news, and some fake news that they put out. Uh, Off the top of your head, I can't remember what those were, but uh, uh, one of them was uh, weapons of mass destruction, wasn't it, Claire?
1: Yes. Yes, it was. Um, You know, George W. Bush had to prefer this idea of weapons of mass destruction to get us into uh, invading Iraq, um, and the mainstream media kind of picked up the slack when people were doubtful, including including like UN intelligence or UN weapons inspectors and everything else. A bunch of people were very skeptical, so the mainstream media kind of picked up the narrative. And suddenly, uh, there was a report in the New York Times that basically said, "Yes, Saddam does have, you know, chemical and biological weapons, and somebody told me they seen them." And that story at first was passed around and then, you know, kind of inserted the fear necessary to get the public behind the war. But very quickly, the story fell apart when, you know, it was revealed that there wasn't really much to it at all. Anyway, um, the, the weapons that were in Iraq, uh, Saddam Hussein literally did not know about them. Like he had no way to know they were there. So it wasn't some part of some master plan. Um, there were there have been so many incidents where where the corporate media just simply lies or works in conjunction with government influencers. Um, The State Department is a big one. Uh, Foreign governments are another. Uh, They've all done it. It, It's a very terrible problem, but you can't always trust what it is that you're seeing, which is why people need the ability to research.
0: Eleven minutes left. uh, Was Tonkin Golf one of your top six MSM fake news? Uh, Can you quickly touch on it?
1: It was... The government reported that some ships had been attacked by the Vietnamese in the Gulf of Tonkin when actually that was it was just not true at all. Um, there was so, they just kind of, it was the Pentagon and the White House had put forward this story of ships being attacked and this was like the second attack and it was necessary that we must strike back against the Vietnamese because they had attacked us. And it was believed to be the steel truth um, for a very long time. Um, it was just not true. The story was entirely fake. But the mainstream media took the government's report without having any sources, without investigating, without looking into the story any further, and parroted it as if it were, you know, a, a set deal. And it had been done and the and the incident was real. And it just was not real. But it did serve to get the country enmeshed in the war in Vietnam. So, um, we're talking, this, this is the thing, when, when, all, when mainstream media lies and puts forth propaganda and just kind of does a terrible job of journalism, millions of people die. Uh, it's, the fake news problem is with the mainstream media because it's fatal when it comes to them. When it comes to these few sites that, you know, have these bogus articles, like you were saying, about aliens and celebrities or something, that's really not a problem. Getting us into a war where millions die, that is a problem.
0: Now we'll switch to current events. Uh, we got about nine minutes left in the show. The Tonkin Gulf, we just covered in the show that we did uh, three shows ago, Occupy Imperial. Brandon brought up that they would, had almost tried to redo the same scenario they used in Tonkin Gulf. There was an American ship off the coast of Yemen. Uh, it was fired on was fired on again, and they had to retaliate. Um, they launched weapons against Yemen, killed 50 people, and it turned out just like Tonkin Gulf, oops, that was a sensor error. Uh, any thoughts on that, uh, Claire?
1: Yep, I wrote about the same thing, actually. Um, I actually questioned that it was probably another Tonkin because the reports were from the start, there was no real evidence that they had been fired upon. Even the the ship's uh, captain at the time said, well, it seems like they were probably firing at us. I mean, the story was flimsy from the beginning. Um, <laughs> what, what the U.S. was actually firing on, or, you know, they weren't really saying they were, but the U.S. wanted to fire on radar stations inside Yemen that had been given to the Houthi, Houthi rebels by Iran. So it was almost as if they wanted to start another proxy war um, in full swing, and they got, in a way, the desired response because Iran deployed a battalion of ships to kind of keep guard to see what was going to happen next. It was a, that was a very touch and go situation, and it, it really concerned me when I saw that happen. And I knew that those reports were just bogus because it, the narrative fell apart very quickly. Um, it, the propaganda game is played worldwide uh, for very nefarious reasons. Um, some are less harmful than others, but it's all about manipulating thought and controlling what it is that we feel and believe and what we think we know. And that, to me, is very dangerous.
2: Doesn't that sound uh, like we need we need to remember George Santayana's famous statement that those who fail to remember history are condemned to repeat it? Um, we might be just... Seen sometime down the road a story on the news that's compelling us into another war somewhere. Uh, <laughs> we probably need to check those news stories out and uh, verify their credibility. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Absolutely. It, always. Uh, the center of the story and the less reliable or the less number of sources it provides and the less names this is another thing when you hear a report from mainstream media and they don't offer anybody's name for who has given statements it's a pretty clear sign it's propaganda
0: got about six minutes left Uh, we've covered two of your six top mainstream media lies Uh, we got Tonkin Gulf uh Real quickly, you had, uh, you had another four. Can you kind of real quickly brush on uh, those off the top of your head?
1: Well, for one, the drug war. Um, if cannabis prohibition and the war on drugs has created, uh, I mean, it's just a complete propaganda campaign. Um, there have been, you know, countless studies proving that cannabis has incredibly beneficial health properties. And the reason it's remaining on the... List of prohibited, um, what, Schedule One substances is, is because, for the most part, it competes with a number of big pharma pharmaceuticals. Um, right. it, it can cut opioid abuse and everything else. I mean, this war. But the, the thing that's terrible about it is that the war against this plant has led to an untold number of deaths in this country because we have now a militarized police force that goes barreling into, in SWAT teams, goes barreling into the wrong homes and just shooting and throwing grenades in babies' cribs. And, I mean, this is a terrible travesty, and it's it's all based on propaganda. It's all a lie.
0: There's it's, three it's of your really six. Uh, what are the others? Uh, hey, Terry. Come this, Go
2: ahead. Being a math, being a math teacher, um, the article has five, not six. It's
0: okay, but... Um, <laughs> well, she's going to get she's trying to. Thirty years
2: ago, it wasn't good. Thirty years
0: ago, and it's not getting better with age. Uh, was there any other one I just did
2: didn't want her to, to get caught trying to figure out what the sixth one is. <laughs> Go ahead.
0: I, I was trying to make it sporting for. <laughs> Go ahead. Um,
1: okay, so CNN, um, a reporter named Amber Lyon for CNN, uh, went to Bahrain to cover the Arab Spring, and she was going to, with her small crew of of uh, CNN media people she was going to cover uh, the role technology played in the Arab Spring. And they were going to shoot, you know, a kind of a short documentary about that. Um, when they arrived, they discovered that the Bahraini government was incredibly oppressive and perpetrating violence against the and was trying to quash the Arab Spring movement in any means necessary. Um, they themselves were roughed up when they were there, um, kind of manhandled and detained for hours. Um, they had their footage erased and you, cameras meddled with, so it was a it was a very big deal. And she was somewhat of a new reporter and had not been to Bahrain, Bahrain before. And she came back, and you know, it took a long time for CNN to put out the uh, the documentary at all. And CNN International, for whom the documentary was made, never aired it. Um, she discovered that there was a great deal of interaction between CNN International and the Bahraini government. Um, and that basically, they were the they were paying to have that information suppressed. They were they were scripting the narrative through CNN to affect their beans and quash the Arab Spring in that country. Um, she, she tried to uh, CNN tried to suppress her as well. She ended up being terminated for an ostensibly different reason, but it seems fairly obvious that. It was her. She wanted to report on Bahrain. She wanted to report on the brutality, and they kept telling her no. And it seems pretty obvious that they were just trying to suppress um, somebody who was actually doing their job. Um,
0: Information control and war on reporters. Once again,
1: exactly. Now we've got
0: one more that you covered in there. If you yeah. can think of it off the top of your head, not uh, two. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Fox News. Fox News had for some over a decade. They brought on a. For a guest appearance, a regular guest appearance, uh, this person who said that he was a CIA operative, who never was a CIA operative, Um, they didn't even check his employment history or anything when they brought him on to be an expert because of his CIA experience. He literally was just a shill. He was some guy saying he was a CIA operative in, in the past, and he just never was. And for, I think it was 12 years, he spoke from the perspective of, like, you know, the intelligence community having expertise in this field, um, He, I, it, it's just astonishing that he hoodwinked the entire Fox News staff, and they never bothered to find out about it. Uh, he was just recently arrested and sentenced to 33 months in prison for this uh, imposterism <laughs> Uh I just I just think it's hysterical. I mean, any wage hourly worker has their background checked. They're going to hire somebody who says he works for the CIA and they're not going to try to confirm that.
0: Well, it's a secret. <laughs> I just
1: thought, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh we
0: we lost the the opening part of what you were talking about. Uh and again, that was a uh, the uh, the expert for CNN who basically lied on his resume and nobody bothered to check his resume to see with... oh Fox, well, yes. maybe yeah okay Fox. well we'll uh, we'll probably have a rough edit trying to get into that one but hey after the last show <laughs> hey, this one's been a piece of cake so far um any uh, we've got 1 minute left claire what are your what are your last words we need to be keeping in mind here we're talking about information control We're talking about fake news. We're talking about Google manipulation and social media manipulation. Um, Leave us with Uh, a happy thought, please.
1: (laughs) If if everybody does their due diligence and doesn't accept that they need to be told what's acceptable by the government, then we will continue to have a free and open internet and we will continue to have a wonderful alternative press that can bring the truth. But if we fall for the propaganda and don't Bother to research and don't bother to try to understand, then we're all gullible and culpable.
2: Um, it comes down David? to the people,
1: still, doesn't it? It comes down mm-hmm. to us
2: being the ones uh, that uh, are the bird dogs. Uh, that's probably the story that comes out of this. It's up to it's up to us to, um, in our local communities, you know, bottom up, always works better than top down. That's uh, I appreciate your sharing with us, Claire. Uh, Claire and Hopefully, we'll do it again sometime.
1: Definitely. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for standing, Claire. Uh, this has been Episode 11, Information Control. And our guest coming up uh, will be Stan Cohen. We haven't had a chance to talk to him in, oh, about two and a half years. I'm sure he's got some interesting observations. And uh, till then, thanks for joining us. Thanks for standing, and Goodbye.